0: All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. Beautiful day the Lord's given us today. I'm excited to be here and be with you guys. And we're, um, we're starting a new fall series this morning. And um, I'm excited about it. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We did this at Advent. We, we did a character study. We looked at the book of Ruth and we studied the character of Ruth. And it was super rich. When you look at a biblical character, it gives you the opportunity to enter into the story. So we're going to be looking at uh, more story narrative. So we're going to be looking at uh, narrative of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We'll also be looking at some Psalms. And here's the deal. I want to invite you to enter into the story. Uh, every every chapter we look at, enter into the story, put yourself in there. These are going to be awesome stories in David's life for the kid in all of us, okay? We're going to be talking about uh, dangerous battles. We're going to be talking about secret missions, sword fights, blood and guts. Uh, we're also going to be looking at uh, glorious victories. We're going to be looking at palace intrigue all kinds of stuff going on around the life of David. So uh, we don't know who wrote 1 and 2 Samuel, but we believe that the prophets that were highlighted in there, Samuel, Gad, Nathan, they wrote records, and someone has put these together. We don't know who that is. Uh, But let me kind of show you where we're going to fit into the biblical story, because where we're going to land... Uh, This story is is in around 1000 BC, all right? So on this little chart here, you see the leadership errors of the Bible story, and uh, it began with with God as the, the ruling king, and he had the patriarchs, and that's about 500 years worth. Then from 1500 B.C. to 1000 B.C., we had mostly prophets, the former prophets like Moses and Joshua, the Judges, and that ends with Samuel. And now we're in a transition between the prophets and uh, the princes. This this little 500-year, four chunks of 500 years, comes from David Pawson's book, uh, Unlocking the Bible. So he's got the four P's, the patriarchs, the prophets, the princes, and the priests. Well, the princes are really kings. So we're transitioning from the prophets to the kings. And Of course, the kings are going to have prophets, but they're the dominant characters. And then in the last 500 years before Jesus, the priests were the, the main people running the railroad. So what we're going to see in this story is Samuel, the, the last judge and prophet, is going to hand things off to the first king, which is Saul. Saul is going to flame out. Now Saul's going to be part of our story but he's going to fail and here's why he's going to fail. He gets two assignments and both times he disobeys. So thinking about what we were looking at last week when we finished the Rethink series we talked about the premium, the, 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 the love language of God is obedience. Well Saul fails the obedience test in the first half of 1 Samuel and he disobeys, and he is removed from the kingship. So uh, let's now ask the question, okay, so why study the life of David? Well, here's amazing things. David is mentioned in the Bible more than any other character except Jesus. David is an amazing guy. He is a shepherd. He is a poet. He is a musician. He plays the lyre and the harp. He's a worshiper. He is a warrior. He's a king. He's a father, a grandfather. He's also a prophet. And David's multifaceted life makes him relevant to all of us, whether we're men or women, because he cried, he was a uh, man's man, but he was also soft and tender. So we're going to see lots of aspects of his life, and there'll be something of application in it for all of us. But one thing stands out, and hence the title of our series, one thing stands out about David. He's after God's heart. He knows God's love. He loves He loves God with all his heart, and God is his dream. God is David's dream. And so, uh, and, and here's the thing. David believes with all his heart that God wants more Davids. God wants, and here's how he expresses it in Psalm 14. He says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. God is looking all the time for those who would be totally committed to him. And so it, this whole series is going to be an invitation. And he wants you, and he wants you, and he wants you to fall in love with who he is and this is David's passionate one thing only thing in his life that really mattered and so uh, David is going to invite us over and over and over again to stand in the fellowship of God chasers to stand in the fellowship of God chasers we're going to chase after God in this series and As A.W. Tozer said, uh, he reckoned there was this fellowship of people that were passionate for God. He called it the fellowship of the burning heart. And this series in David is going to be our our invitation from God into the fellowship of the burning heart. So let me briefly sketch out David's life so you sort of see where we're going and then we're going to dive into 1 Samuel 16. Basically, David is portrayed in five spiritual seasons. And here I've put them up on the screen. They are anchored in the the, the place where he was and then uh, how old he was and what was going on. And the first part of his life is Bethlehem, age 0 to 13. He's an obscure shepherd. He's learning his identity in Christ and his identity with God. Then he moves into Saul's service at the battle with the Philistines. And then beyond that, uh, actually moves into Saul's service as a lyre player, which we're going to see that today. And then the victory over Goliath, which we're going to look at next week. Uh, and then uh, he, he's anchored in his identity. In Gibeah, where he's working for Saul, he's tested with a rise in popularity. And how will he handle that popularity? In Adjulam, in 22 to 30, he's a fugitive and warriors are gathering around him in Hebron ages 30 to 37 after the death of Saul David is finally made the king but only the king over one of the 12 tribes so he has only partial fulfillment of what God gave promised him and then in Jerusalem he has the full kingship but he also has his failures and then we see his legacy that he leaves behind so if you're young you can identify with David in the early stages of his life If you're in the middle, you can identify with looking back and looking ahead a little bit. And if you're older, you can look back at your life. But it's a way for us to see how God works in our lives in the different seasons, the different seasons of the Spirit in our lives. So today we're going to focus on the shepherd season. And I took this picture in Bethlehem three years ago. This is uh, on our trip to Israel. This is... uh, A young shepherd boy named Mahmud who's about 14. He has about 60 sheep behind him that he is shepherding. And this is still going on today. And David had that experience and he had a lot of time alone with the sheep. And I believe when we read Psalm 23, we're reading the revelation that David got when he was a shepherd and how he could see as he was caring for the sheep, God was caring for him. And so we read through Psalm 23 and we see how dependent he is, how God refreshes and restores his soul with living water. We see his identity uh, that he's walking in the paths of the one who loves him, uh, direction, protection, blessing. He knows, let's put the next next slide up. He knows all these things about God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you're with me. You protect me. You're rod and your staff. And then he talks about preparing an enemy, a table before him in the presence of his enemies, and anointing him with oil. We're going to see that anointing today. There's a, and, and then he anticipates eternity, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He anticipates eternity. This is a powerful picture of how David has come to know and love the living God. And this is the intimacy and the identity that he cultivated over all this time. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for the heart of David. We thank you that he knew you and he leads the way for us uh, to understand how to know you, how to walk with you, how to be dependent on you, how to be refreshed by you, how to have our identity in you for the direction that you give, the protection that you give, the blessing that you bestow to know your goodness and love, to anticipate eternity with you. Lord, show us now in this series how we can have a heart after you, Lord, after your heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, with that quick overview, I'm going to invite Jamie up, and we're going to uh, walk through... uh, We're going to walk through... 1 Samuel. Come on You guys welcome Jamie. All right. All right. So we're going to do a more interactive format of messaging that we started last week. Uh, We're not going to give you two minutes to think through everything because you've been reading the text this week, but we're just going to walk through the text uh, and we're going to do that in three sections, verses one to seven. Then we're going to go from verse 8 to 13. Then we're going to go from... The third section is verse 24... Uh, sorry, 14 to 23. So each, each section, we're just going to lead out a little discussion, and then we're going to invite your observations. Uh, maybe you, you got hit by the Holy Spirit, and you've, you've heard from the Lord. He wants you to do something. So you might want to share an I will statement. And uh, we've got our... Uh, the rest of our body who's online this morning, and uh, they're going to be able to participate as we go through this. Uh, so we're just going to pick up comments and share them. Um, and uh, for, the, for this part, um, I wonder if uh, Steve Sessler, if you wouldn't mind getting the mic and when people have a comment... To bring it to them, don't let them hold the mic, and then after every person, just wipe it off. We we'll give you a, all the tools you need back there. All right, awesome. And um, so uh, let's uh, let's dive in, eh, Jamie? Yeah. All right. So uh, the the first seven verses describes the situation where God now talks to Samuel. Samuel is is uh, Samuel is um, mourning. The, the, the loss of the kingship by Saul. Uh, and God says, hey, slaps him around. Hey, stop. What are you going to mourn forever? Look, we're going to move on. I've rejected him. God's decrees are final. And uh, I want you to get your horn of oil and get on your way. I'm sending you to Bethlehem. And uh, Saul is like, well, or Saul, Samuel is like, well, what if Saul finds out? Like, he's going to kill me. And Samuel, you got to think, Samuel is the most feared man in all of Israel. Samuel's got hair down here. He's a Nazarite, so he's not cut his hair his entire life. He looks, I guess, something like Gandalf. All right? He's got these fiery eyes. And he walks into Bethlehem, and all of the elders of Bethlehem are trembling, they're afraid. Uh, but Samuel, too, is afraid. He's afraid of Saul. He's afraid that this is going to get back to Saul and things are going to get nasty. And they, the elders say, hey, you come in in peace. And uh, Sam, Samuel says, yep, and I'm gonna, we're going to have a sacrifice. I'm going to consecrate Jesse. I, I want Jesse's family. Where do they live? Goes to Jesse's house, uh, meets Jesse, and he thinks, ah, Jesse's oldest son is there, Eliab. And he thinks, oh, that must be the king. And uh, he gets ready to, and the Lord has to say, no, 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 no. you haven't got it yet. Yes, Saul was a foot taller than everybody else and this guy looks nice and tall and everything, but that's not how I operate. I operate uh, by looking at the heart. You look at the people from the outside, I look at the heart. And so Samuel is rebuked and he God says, don't consider his appearance or height. That's not what this is about. You know, in Isaiah, in chapter 53, the prophet says that Jesus had nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was a man of sorrows. So, basically, uh, you know, we do it all the time. Attractiveness drives popularity in our culture. We do it all the time. But now, uh, Samuel is led in, and he is led in to anoint somebody, but it's not the oldest son of Jesse, and uh, God basically says, hey, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, let's stop there, and let's dive in. You want to?
1: No, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting that um, that's a hard thing for us to get sometimes, that God is looking at individuals, like I'm looking at Brian over here. God sees Brian, very differently than everyone else sees Brian. And and it's true of all of us, that when he sees us, he's seeing something very different than even family members are going to see. And we see that with the brothers, Eliab and the rest of the brothers. They can't see in David what God sees. They're almost too close to him. And so I think it's just a challenge, just as I've been listening to to Dennis talk, I think it's just a challenge to be daily asking the Lord. I've just been challenged personally right now. Uh, Sometimes I don't see Jess, my wife, the way Abba sees her. And Mm -hmm. I I want to be the kind of guy that sees Jess the way Abba sees Jess. Yeah. And sometimes the people closest to us, that we see them in the morning when their hair is crazy, not Jess's hair, of course, but (laughs) pre-toothbrush, sometimes when they're so close, you can't see who they are, who Yahweh sees them. Yeah, Abba sees them. So just as an encouragement, what would it look like when, you, when you're with family to say, Abba, how do you see this? How do you see my kid? How do you see my coworker? How do you see my supervisor that's a little bit much this morning? How do you see the people in my life? Because God sees them very differently than we do. So that's just what's kind of going through my mind um, as we've been talking through this. Questions, thoughts. I know Steve has got a microphone. So if you have yeah. And while somebody's thoughts?
0: getting ready, to that let me just throw out two little examples. The world wants us, the world wants us to judge one another yeah. by certain identity markers. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the most amazing people that I worked with on a board a long time ago in the city of Cincinnati on a charity board. Uh, she was uh, as far left as you could imagine on the political spectrum, but she was the most Caring, Christ-like person in that entire board. And over and over again, she would bring us back to the people we were serving. And that always struck in my mind to not evaluate others. We, we had a friend this week uh, working on the census who was walking up and down a street and there was a, one house with like a zillion Trump signs in front of it and she was reluctant to go and knock on that door and ask why had they hadn't filled in their census yet. She did the entire street and she realized I've got to go to that house or lie that I went and they didn't answer. So she went to the house, knocked on the door and she said that person was the nicest person that I ran into all day long. Mm. And again, it's, it's a reminder to us like this judging the book by the cover, this Identity, people slapping identities and labels on us yeah. prevents us from seeing people the way Yahweh is seeing them. Yeah. And we need, we need to repent of that and remain open to what he wants to do. So yeah. I think we've got a comment over here.
2: I just feel a strong yes and to all of that, to say yes and the way we view ourselves, because it's the same problem, right? that we, we kind of look for and receive identity from other people. The enemy loves to mess with that, just twisted the way that we look at ourselves. I know that's, that's something really that I just regularly struggle with. I need to look to him and say, how do you see me? That's really well. good. Yeah, Yeah. Amen.
1: what Abba says about you is what trumps what everyone else says about you. That's yeah. really good, Mark. That's good.
0: I've also heard it said, what other people think about you is none of your business. <laughs>
1: Because all,
0: all that matters is what God thinks That's about right. you. That's right. So this makes perfect sense, but how do we see people as God sees them? Amen.
1: I regularly ask. So if I'm in a meeting and I, I'm looking at someone, I am regularly asking Abba, how do you see this person? What do you think about what's happening? All the time. So I'm a, I'm a very curious person, so I'm asking him all the time. So if someone's standing in front of me and they're talking, you know that most of the time when someone's saying something, there's all sorts of other motivations that are happening. So we might as well find out from Abba what they actually are feeling. So I'll look at them, and I'll, while they're talking, I'm listening to Abba say, what do you think about this? And then I'll begin to speak what I'm hearing from him. So I think it's just practice. We have the literal creator of the universe dwelling inside of us, and he's a guide and a teacher, the Holy Spirit, so we should just ask. So I think getting into that rhythm and practice of the people I see in front of me, they deserve for me to understand what Abbath feels about them. And I'll just keep asking.
0: All right. This will be our last comment and we'll move on to the next section.
3: I had a very interesting experience this week as I was out in the garden and Mr. Burr likes to put his political signs out on the boulevard. And this one was not really political, but it was Pray for America. And there was a woman walking down the street with her dog, and she took a picture of it, and I happened to be in the garden, and she said, excuse me, ma'am, but what does that sign mean? Why are we supposed to pray for America? And I felt like a little like what Glenn Beck says when somebody says something absolutely ridiculous and he said, the blood started shooting out of my eyes. And I thought, what am I going to say to this person? I said, well, are you aware of what's going on in our country now? And she looked at me and she said, well, yes, and well, I won't go on with the conversation, but clearly she thought what was going on was perfectly fine and that those, those people, she said, have just, they're at the end of their rope and this is, this is their, response to what this country is doing to them so i kind of gave her my little history lesson and i but it was all i could do not to just grab her by the shoulders and scream at her and be very judgmental and i thought well that's all i need to do and then she'll probably come back and throw eggs at my house mm-hmm. but or worse but um anyway i i just thought well people certainly do see things from a different perspective and nothing i could do was going to change her mind or say at that moment. But maybe I would plant a seed and she would think about it. So it's very difficult to maintain your composure when somebody says something. I I thought that was just outrageous.
0: Well, maybe that was a a call to pray for her, you know. So uh, let's move on because we've got to this first starting point. Samuel thinks it's the nice tall older brother. And God corrects him. So let's see what happens. So then Jesse calls his other sons. And he keeps bringing them up. And the Lord says, nope, 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 nope. And he brings all his oldest seven sons. And, uh, okay, that's it. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, I got one more. He's out tending the sheep. He's like Mahmoud, the picture I told you about. He's like Mahmoud. He's he's got the lowest job on the totem pole in the family. And so Samuel says, well, send for him because we're not eating this sacrificed heifer until he gets here. In other words, dinner's going to be cold. And let's bring this kid in here. So he goes, has him brought in. uh, He looks like a pretty healthy kid. And then the Lord says, rise uh, and anoint him. This is the one. This is the new king of Israel. And uh, I don't know why the text doesn't talk about his heart right there, but God knows. God's already been speaking to him. God knows he's a shepherd. God knows he's a man after his own heart. And so um, they anoint him, and they anoint him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Holy Spirit comes on David, comes on David, and then Samuel goes to Ramah. And Samuel, we, we don't hear much more about Samuel except uh, that he dies and a little bit later Saul tries to talk, call him up from the dead uh, to talk to him. But this is, this is the moment where David's ministry begins. This is the, the choosing by God, the anointing uh, of oil, and uh, this is the moment where we realize, like, as we have already in the biblical story and as we know from the vantage point of the New Testament, having the Holy Spirit uh, is everything. And so uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, we just see this this, uh, Holy Spirit powerfully come on David. That's visible. They can see it. We don't know precisely what's happening, but we can see it when when we pray for people after their baptisms here to be filled with the Holy Spirit we often see people shaking sometimes we don't see anything but the Spirit comes on them and they they sense it they sense the fullness of God Uh, so you know I remember in my story uh, coming into the kingdom in Hong Kong starting to walk with Jesus reading the Bible and beginning to see throughout the New Testament especially, but even this story, the Holy Spirit is a differentiator of power and Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth the power of of the Spirit, the power of God uh, and that word there, the Greek word is dynamite the the power of God that's coming on David here is totally accessible to us and I remember reading that and saying instantly my spirit knew like I do not have that power and I started a quest to seek God to seek the, the Holy Spirit to learn more about the Spirit, to read the New Testament with the entirety perspective of, wow, this this isn't really doable in the full extent of what I read in the Bible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, several months into this journey, and I would describe myself as really hungry for more of God. Uh, I went for prayer in two occasions. In the first occasion... Uh, I, the Holy Spirit came on me in power. I received the power of the Spirit. I knew what it was. The Holy Spirit, you know, came in. Uh, that first time, uh, I experienced a pain in my neck as, as I felt somebody pulling, my something off my spine, and the person praying for me, said that's selfish ambition. You're not going to need that anymore now that you have the Holy Spirit. And that was my first experience. And then maybe several months later, I don't know exactly by memory, uh, I was in a worship service at my friend's church in Connecticut. I was singing the song and all of a sudden I started singing uh, in my prayer language, in, in tongues. It just came on me right in that moment, and I knew the Lord wanted me to pray in that. So, two different stories, but what I think we can see in the Old Testament is the Spirit coming on some people for their service. In the New Testament, we see the Spirit indwells the believer, but then in in moments of laying on hands, and repetitiously, I might add, the Holy Spirit fills people with power. So we want to, I think the one, number one thing we can draw out of this section is to be, to be eagerly desiring the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have prayer after today's service uh, for all of you online who want to receive prayer um, and then for all of you here who want to receive prayer on the patio when we're done the service out front. Um, so that that's... One, one person's take from this section. Let's open it up, and maybe you've got something you want to add, Jamie? Yeah, I
1: was just going to say, I think it's amazing that <clears throat> in the context here, the Spirit, it's almost a zero-sum game in the Old Testament. The Spirit had to be removed from Saul and then put on David. So there was a sense of which, okay, I'm going to pull off of one person. One person's gain of the Spirit is a loss in another person. But in, in Christ... Everyone can have the Spirit. I just, it just, again, speaks to the abundance and the glory of Jesus' work. Pre-Jesus, pre-cross, pre-resurrection, basically one or two people get the Spirit, and sometimes it's every once in a while when they need it. Him, I should say, the Spirit. It, this side of the resurrection, everyone can have the Spirit and more. So I just, it's just an encouragement. Questions? Thoughts, comments?
0: Somebody online commented that, um, you, you know, we need to listen to Abba, to the Father. For, Abba, by the way, is the Hebrew word for Daddy. Okay? Ab is Father. Abba is Daddy. So this is an intimate thing. Ask Daddy to speak truth over others. And then the other person has noticed that David didn't ask for position, but it was given for him. Uh, and the testimony is Jesus has done things like that to bless me. Um, and uh, so that's, that's something that we can express, expect. And, and Jess Moore is saying, I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit power that was in David is also accessible to us. So anyone else want to add to that? Uh, yes, um, God chose David. God chose David. God chooses us, and th- we don't choose Him before He chooses us. Amen. So uh, it's the response that is important. We don't initiate it; God initiates it. Yep. And when we do, then God obviously honors that and and the relationship can really begin in the power of the Spirit. Yeah, amen. You know, uh, I put up here, you cannot follow Jesus according to the scriptures without the full power of the Holy Spirit. And when he was baptized, we see the dove settling on him. And I think we need to see the Holy Spirit is like this gentle dove. It only lands on blameless lambs. So in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus of course was blameless, he was sinless. Blameless means we've confessed our sin and we're ready. If we're agitated and fearful and angry, the Holy Spirit, the dove, leaves. Doesn't leave in terms of the indwelling spirit, but the power leaves until we we repent, get confessed, get ready for more, and then he can come back, because he only stays on blameless lambs.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna, my thoughts were to piggyback on what Mr. Robinson was saying. Um, it, it, it really s- struck me when, if you think about sharing your faith with other people, it's God working in you that is attractive to other people, it's not you. And I, I think back to when the Lord commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until he sent the helper. And it says in, in Acts one that you will receive power on high to be my witness to the world. And um, you know, that, that takes the pressure off of us and it, and it postures us in a position where we need to be yielded to God and to wait on him um, and rest in Him and abide in Him, and that way others can see Him and you know, in the in the and the righteous acts that Jesus does through us for the glory of the Father. So that was my thought. That's
0: good. Amen. That's good. All right, let's uh, move on to section three. Um, now, the scene switches, and uh, we find out that an evil spirit is tormenting Saul. Now for some people, that, that's going to be a jarring kind of like, wait a minute, God wouldn't do that. God is love. God's nice. God's... And we see throughout the scriptures that God uses evil agents to accomplish his purposes. All right? And this is not, uh, this is not one time only in the, in the scriptures. This happens often. God allows evil agents, whether they're evil spirits or others, to torment people. And especially if he wants to try to turn somebody. Saul has been disobedient, Saul's heart is hard. And so God says, Well, I'm going to, if, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm going to finish the job. That's what he did with Pharaoh. Or I'm going to try to bring you out of that with, with this tormenting spirit. So the attendants say, hey, uh, we got to get somebody who can play the lyre and uh, get, get the king out of this mess. So we see here uh, the beginning of something that's very popular right now, music therapy, right? So Saul says to his, his attendants, find somebody who can play well and bring him to me. And then they see, ah, well, we've got this guy in Bethlehem and he's a really cool guy. He's, he's He's, and God is with him, and he can play the harp. So they bring David. Saul orders Jesse to send his son. Jesse sends his son into the king's service with the donkey and some extra goodies just to, uh, just to be uh, hospitable. And uh, Saul likes David. David became one of his armor bearers, and Saul sent the word to Jesse, hey, let him stay here in my service because I'm pleased with him and uh, whenever the spirit of God, the evil spirit sent from God came on Saul, David would take up the lyre and play relief would come and he'd feel better and the spirit would leave him so it's really interesting because this is his first assignment after getting anointed and and it doesn't say anything here about David resenting this assignment it doesn't say anything about uh, this is a pretty like This is a pretty low-grade assignment. This is a pretty low-on-the-totem-pole assignment. So David uh, is thankful that he can now worship God and do something useful for the king. And what I see here is a a tremendous uh, picture of God opposing the proud and then God getting ready to lift up the humble. And David has accepted this assignment. And, and it, it is, he's, he's rock solid in his identity with God. So God is his dream. The kingship is not his dream, right? The Being the king is not the most important thing he's after. He's after God. It's such an incredible picture to us to be willing to serve in this way, in obscurity, Uh, serving when his destiny is to be the king, but he's happy to be there, and God brings David into Saul's inner court. This is a test of David's humility, his faith. It's also this process where Saul begins to depend on David, and we're going to see this story develop where it's going to develop into a love-hate relationship, and eventually mostly hate, but we see here this amazing, uh, this amazing humility uh, and the recognition that God is always at work. He's always testing. He's testing David here, but he's also ministering to Saul. He's trying to bring Saul along to repentance, and he's showing Saul, here's, here's where your future lies. But Saul, we will see, does, is not going to is not going to respond, but this is the picture. So in, in James 4, 6, uh, God, through through Jesus's brother says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So you may be uh, feeling uh, kind of like, well, wow, what, this thing about God giving up an evil spirit, giving someone an evil spirit, really? So maybe you want to Talk about that, Jamie, just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll open it up to everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, throughout Scripture, we see this scene of what's called the divine council. And if you're interested in this subject, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. It's called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. It's, um, so we see various times, we see that... Um, God is in a council. We see it at the beginning of Job. There's God, and then there's these heavenly beings around him. We see it actually in 1 Kings 22. God is standing, and he's got this council, and he wants to thwart the king Ahab. And he looks at these spiritual beings, and he says, listen, this is 1 Kings 22, starting in verse 19, so you can look at it later. He says, listen, uh, my plan is to thwart Ahab Who will go down and do that for me? And a spirit comes up to God in this council scene at the throne and says, you know what, I'll go and thwart him. And God says, okay, how are you going to do that? He goes, I'm going to be a lying spirit in the prophets that are around Ahab. And God goes, that sounds like a good plan. The spirit goes down and begins to speak through all the prophets falsely to get Ahab to fall. So there's a big mystery here, isn't there? that God is so at work about things that we're not even considering. He is so at work to make sure his plans are working. Now, for us, we would say, sheesh, how do I not get the lying spirit and the, like, the harmful spirit thing? Well, it's all about the posture of the heart, which is what Dennis just said. If my heart is postured in a place that says, Abba, I really want to do what you want me to do, then, then the Father is not opposing me. That verse says God opposes the proud. He literally stands in opposition. He says, no, no, no. You don't get to do that. I will oppose you. And He will use all kinds of means to do that. So the the pressure that I feel with regard to that is, where is my heart with regard to the Father? Amen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Corey Lush online here says that it's interesting that Saul had the Spirit then needed to be comforted by someone who had the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jess Moore says, Obscurity is the teaching ground for leadership. So good to see this in the life of David since it's true today as well. And and the other thing I'd say is, remember, not one single evil spirit can do one single thing to one single person without God allowing it. Like in the book of Job. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit you can bet that we're going to be immune from that kind of that kind of attack all right well we're going to wrap this section up does anybody here have anything they want to add to this section okay we've got one over here
3: it just reminded me of this summer uh, when i was reading about um i'm sorry i don't know exactly what scripture it was but when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, now get up and walk. And I didn't really understand that until this, in my head, I was the whole um, repenting of making room for the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if I'm articulating my words correctly, but what you're talking about is reminding me of when when I put my posture when I put, when I ask the Lord to search my heart and then I'm able to repent, then I make more room for the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that just made me think. That's right.
0: No, absolutely. When we, when we make room, when we repent and we open our hearts, we make room for the Spirit. And that is a condition of being filled with power by the Spirit. So thank you for sharing that, Tina. And, um, uh, Scott Hobart online is saying, one of my biggest struggles with COVID is the isolation from other spirit-filled men to comfort me, guide me, and challenge me. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a real challenge. And actually, we haven't had much hands-on ministry because of the COVID thing. So we're going we're gonna to have uh, over-the-phone ministry for those who are isolating today or those who are at home or online but we're also going to have in-person, hands-on ministry on the porch. So let me, let me just wrap up uh, this section of Scripture by just looking at a quote from Mike Bickle because David's dream is God, not the kingship, not anything else. Actually, my I will statement for this week is, God be my dream. I want God to be my dream." But Mike Bickle says this, nothing and nobody can steal your dream when your dream is intimacy with God. You can be in obscurity and rejected in your assignment, but that loneliness and rejection won't stick to your spirit and turn into bitterness if your dream is intimacy with God. In other words, things happen, life is hard, people say things, we are lonely at times, But these things, these real things about human life, will not stick to us if God is our dream, if intimacy with God is what we're really after. And so like David, Jesus was also born in obscurity in Bethlehem. And he faced a period of training and obedience before he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to enter the training of God in obscure service? Next slide, please. Are you willing to enter the training of God in obscure service and to seek the Holy Spirit's anointing? That's the message of 1 Samuel 16, is to serve, and I think of you moms that are serving in obscurity. I think of you, you dads who are serving in obscurity in your basements working all day while mom's upstairs with the kids, homeschooling, whatever that is. Remember, that is absolutely, if you do that in the power of the Spirit, that is absolutely music to God's ears. That is music to God's ears. So, uh, what is your I will for today? I want you to think about that as the worship team comes up. Uh, They're going to close our service, uh, and we're just going to let the Lord speak to us about our I will for today, for this week. And I want to also... encourage you if you need prayer and if you need prayer if you're here today we'll be on the patio after the service if you need prayer today and you're online text your name to 513-205 can you put that slide up there we go 4238 and we will text your name to that number and we will have somebody call you back and pray with you can i just make a really quick
1: shameless plug or maybe not shameless shameless um, I just noticed in the text, David played music. There's something about worship music for our hearts. And here's the plug. Tonight, we're having a worship night. So I, I think the Lord has something for some people. Like you've been really, really stressed. You've been really, really, um, I don't want to use the word tormented, but there's a lot of stuff, right? Come tonight. Come tonight and just worship. There's a, there's a David thing coming tonight as we play and as we Good. sing and as we're together, that there is healing and peace coming tonight. So I just want to encourage everyone, please come
0: tonight uh, in addition to receiving prayer out on the lobby. Amen. All right, let's worship the Lord.